Well, let's uh, pray, and we're going to dive right into the Word of God this morning. The Father, I just thank you again so much for this wonderful little church here that you have blessed us with to fellowship, to pray for one another, to break bread together, to open the Word together. And God, we know that your presence is here. We know you want to move powerfully within your people here this morning. We know that we have a sermon that is prepared, but you want to speak a specific word to every heart here today. May you soften our hearts. May you open our minds. May you allow us with full sensitivity to engage with the presence here this morning. Lead us now, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. When I was in high school, I had just graduated and I was working already part-time for this mega church. I was a youth leader leading the high school department. I was already working on the weekends part-time, but just graduating, I didn't want to dive right into college. I wanted to just take some time and raise some money. And so I went for a full-time job and I worked at, not sure if they have them here in Texas, but Napa Auto Parts is where I worked in a giant warehouse. I drove a forklift. I stocked shells. Uh, one of the most miserable places for a future preacher to ever be is stocking shells when you want to preach the word. And I, I got that job because my best friend worked there and I asked him to put a good word in for me, which he did. Went for an interview. I got hired right on the spot and started working and meeting new people and lots of funny people, lots of great people there. Well, there was one lady there uh, who was a Marine wife, and she had two little kids who had just started going to school. So she was at home by herself all day and was bored and wanted to make some money. And so she took a full-time job stocking shelves as well. And as the days went on, we got to know each other more and more and more. And I found out and for the very first time, I had met somebody who absolutely did not believe in God. She was an atheist. Now, in the city I grew up in, San Diego, there was mega churches everywhere. Everybody was open to God. There wasn't really a downplay on it. I mean, people would mostly say, if anything, they at least believed in God. But I had never met an authentic atheist who vehemently said, I do not believe that there is a higher power, period. And I'm, I'm 18 years old, fresh out of high school, never met an atheist in my life. I was shocked. And, and in my shock, I was probably a little insensitive as well because I said, really? So you don't believe that there's a God. You, you don't believe there's the heaven. You, you just think that we are born because we came from some type of slime and it evolved to where we're at now, that we're going to stock shells at Napa Auto Parts. And then when we die, that's it. We just cease to exist. That's it. And she goes, yeah, exactly that. And I go, that's incredibly depressing, <laughs> me and my insensitivity. And she just looked at me and said, you're right, it is. And my heart broke. I could not speak for the rest of the day because here was a Marine wife who later we found out that she was being abused by her husband who had two beautiful little kids that were going to be raised up in a home that did not even mention the name God. And she's just going to eke her existence in life working minimum wage at an auto parts store with a husband who could care less about her and two kids who will never get the joy of, of accepting Jesus and learning the Bible stories that our, our children are learning. My heart broke. And here's somebody who rejected believing. And as you know, we are in a mini-series that I'm con continuing and also concluding today on believing. And I just love how so many of us this morning spoke about the power of believing. And this lady that I met, she did not believe whatsoever. She purposely did not believe. And though many of us believers know the word, we know the scriptures, we, we know God, we, we've been raised up in the church, 
Because of life circumstances, sometimes we fail to fully believe or to fully trust or to fully have faith in this God who has declared so much over our lives. I mean, it's easy to declare these wonderful things that in Philippians 4, 13, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And, and we can declare in, in Mark eleven twenty four that if we pray with faith and we believe that we will receive anything we ask for. We can declare Genesis 18, 14 that says, is anything too difficult for our God? I love those songs about the faithfulness of God. And there's a lot of music on the radio, on Christian radio. A lot of it is depressing. Let's be honest. There's a lot. It's woe is me, and I'm so depressed, and my, my problems. I'm like, is this brother saved? He's declaring the, the songs about the Lord, and it's all about his problem. He needs to get saved. But there's some songs that talk about the faithfulness of God and how big God is. I'm like, yes, it pumps me up. And we can know all these things, but sometimes... Life smacks us right in the face. And we're in this, this, this tension, this battle of will I believe God or not based on my circumstances. And so last week, we talked about the power of believing. And we looked at a cute little formula that was not very fancy or very intellectual, but faith plus hope equals believing. And when we dissected those words in the original language in the Greek, we found out that faith meant a conviction of truth. We discovered that hope is a positive expectation of good and that believing in the Greek is defined as being persuaded to. Like a car salesman who tells you all the good stuff about a car and finally gets you to sign on the dotted line. You take that risk, you take that step, and now you're going to pay for it. Well, that's what believing is. And so when we, when we are convinced of the truth through faith, then we fight for the truth in hope. It naturally produces believing which allows us to take that risk when we may be too afraid to even try it. And many Christians, again, we can know the word in and out from Genesis to the maps. We can know everything about the Bible. But when the push comes to shove, when bad times come or God gives us an opportunity to really step out in faith, will we do it? And I was inspired this past week in my study. There is a missionary named John uh, who wanted to minister in the late 1800s to the new Hebrides Islands. Now, the first missionary who went there was killed and eaten by cannibals. Not going to get a whole lot of signups for the missionary trips to New Hebrides when they're eating people. <laughs> and so John, he felt very clearly from the Lord, I need to go and I need to preach the gospel and I need to witness to these people. And everyone said, don't go, you'll get eaten. Pretty sure you won't hear that in your life. But he says, I need to go. God said it and that's all I need to know. God said it, and that's all I need to know. Bless the little babies. Keep your babies in church. Doesn't matter what they do, how they cry, or how they giggle, kids in church makes future prophets and priests and preachers. So we will always honor the children in the church. We will never be discouraged. We will never be frustrated by kids whatsoever. So this missionary John, he said, I'm going whether you like it or not. Talk about some bold faith, right? So he goes to these islands, and then 15 years later, nearly everybody on the island was saved, never got eaten. Now imagine if he said, well, I have faith those people can get saved. I have hope those people can get saved. But God said, go. I said, ha don't want to get eaten. I wasn't put on planet Earth to be barbecue, okay? That's not my calling in life. But he said, no, because I have faith, because I have hope, I will believe and I will go. And A.W. Tozer has this wonderful quote. He says, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity 
that we plan only the things that we can do by ourselves. Some of us only have faith for what we can physically accomplish. Some of us only have faith for the things that are easy to do in the faith. But do we have vision? Can we dream for something that's bigger than ourselves? Can we say that when God calls me, no matter where or what it is, I will say yes, because I trust him that much. And let me just say, it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be scared. It's it's okay to have worries. It's okay to be a human (laughs) and to have emotions. There's nothing wrong with that. We serve an emotional God. God has emotions. But we got to say yes when he calls us. And there's a wonderful example in Scripture and a famous story that our kids learn and that we have studied all these years. It's the story of Gideon. If you have your Bibles, if you want to go with me to the book of Judges, seventh book in the Bible, Judges chapter 7, and we're going to start right at about verse 15. I'm just going to take a small portion of this big story that we all know. Gideon, who was a very scared, timid person, and God called him a mighty warrior. Isn't that awesome when God gives you a title, he declares your identity, your emotions say the complete (laughs) other end of it, but you say, okay, I'll believe. And so he called them a mighty warrior. He called them to take over these enemies that were trying to stomp out God's people. And he laid out a fleece. He he inquired of the Lord. He, He did everything to know for certain that it was God. And when he found out that it was God, he went forward. But God took his army from tens of thousands all the way down to 300, (laughs) these little bitty group of people. And God did a fantastic work to get the victory. But I don't want to look at this story in the physical, this story that God gave this man with a small army a wonderful trick to pull out on the enemy. If we look at these scriptures through the eyes of the Spirit, we're going to find symbolism that can radically transform your life. So let's pick just the the end of the story and the victory here, and I want to glean a couple things from from these scriptures. Starting in verse 15, whether you open your Bible or you turn your Bible on electronically, I'm reading out of the New American Standard as always. Verse 15, when Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. So Gideon went down to the enemy's camp, and the enemy were dreaming that they were going to be overcome by God's army. So he's like, ooh, they're already scared. Here we go. He's getting excited. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. He divided the 300 men in three companies, and he put trumpets and empty pitchers into the hands of all of them with torches inside of the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I and all who are with me blow the trumpet, You will also blow the trumpets all around the camp and say, for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp. And beginning in the middle watch, when they had just posted the watch, they blew the trumpets and smashed the pitchers that were in their hands. And when the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they had the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands. That's pretty um, interesting right there. Left hands and right hands. Notice that the right hand in the Bible typically is about power, about human will. And it said that in the, in the right hands, they had the, the trumpets for blowing. That's going to be significant in just a minute. And in their left hands, what they fought with, okay? And each stood in its place, verse 21. Each stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran, crying out as they fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set the sword of one against the other, even throughout the whole army. And we're going to stop right there powerful image here. We have uh, Gideon and his men, 
and they're trying to maximize their impact. So what they have is each man has a torch, and covering that torch is a clay pot, and then they have a trumpet. Now, the trumpet is being used in the, the right hand, which is a symbol of power, and then in, the, in the, the left hand, we have what they need to break through in order to let the fire come out. Now, let's look at this symbolically. A trumpet, a trumpet in the Bible is used as a declaration of resurrection. A trumpet is used to announce a king. A trumpet is used for worship. And just like Jehoshaphat, who let the worshipers go out to battle first to get the, the, the army to win, we should declare our worship first and foremost. Worship is magnifying God, making him bigger than anything we will face in life. So we have worship first. So the first thing, the, these enemies in a the valley, they hear they're surrounded in, on a mountain ridge all around them. The first thing they hear is that they are surrounded by noise, okay? They're surrounded by worship. May we always surround our problems with worship. Then they have a clay pot with a fire inside. Fire in the scriptures are always a symbol of either purification or the Holy Spirit or of power. But notice that that fire was completely engulfed with clay. Clay in the Bible is always a symbol of human flesh. So they took a trumpet, declared worship first. With that instrument of worship, they shattered the flesh to allow the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit to come out. And these enemies, they saw themselves completely surrounded by fire, and they were in such confusion that they ended up killing each other. In that wonderful place to be in life, when you got people against you, enemies against you, problems against you, but you stay firm and with a mind renewed can focus on worshiping God, you don't let the flesh get in the way. You let the power of the Holy Spirit flow, and you stand there and you watch the goodness and the salvation of the Lord. They take care of the enemies. God will take care of your problems. God has a better plan than you have. And so that's why it's so wonderful to stay submitted to him. Well, in your notes, I want to break down these three uh, articles and tools that God gave for the, the army of God to have victory that day. And I know we can learn some things about continuing in believing, believing. So the first one is that the trumpet, it teaches us, fill it in, to listen up. Listen up. The trumpet teaches us to listen up. In worship, we want to magnify God so that we can hear him more clearly. The Bible says that faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. It doesn't say having heard. It's a continual thing. In faith, we continue to hear the word of God and we build up our most holy faith. And so we are to listen up. That means standing upon truth. That means focusing on truth. I remember as a little kid, one of my favorite shows, it's so nerdy of me, but one of my favorite shows was Magic Secrets Finally Revealed. And what happened was a masked magician, he didn't want to reveal his identity, but he wanted to show the general public how these magical things were done, the trick behind the magic. So he showed how they sawed a woman in half. They showed how you got out of the straitjacket tied up chains like Houdini underwater and how he broke out of that. They even showed you how to make an airplane disappear and all the mechanics and the tricks and the smoke and the screens behind all that. I was fascinated by this show. It went on for a whole season and I learned magic trick after magic trick after magic trick, not to do them just to find out how they were done. But here's the problem. For a little kid who used to like magic shows, it killed magic for me. I could never go to another magic, a birthday party, and there's a magician. I'm like, mm-hmm, let me see your sleeve, <laughs> right? Because I knew the truth. 
And here's the cool thing about truth, especially God's truth, is that when you know the truth, it completely shows the lie. And when you know the truth, there's no way you can go back to the lie. That's why John says that it is the truth that will make you free. Not set you free. We have been freed in God, but it will make you free. It will allow you to realize all that you have been given. And so we need to listen up so that we can see truth because we are bombarded by noise every single day. We don't call it the evening news or the morning news. It's just bad news. That's all we get nowadays. We have social media. We have more information coming to us in a single day than our grandfathers had in their whole lives. We have so much noise around us that are fighting for our attention. And that's why it's so vital that we can silence those and that we can keep our focus on God to listen up to what he is saying. The Bible is very clear, and Jesus said it so many times, that you will either be sensitive to God and hardened to the world, or you'll be hardened to God and sensitive to the world. You know, if you were to come up to me and just punch me right in the face, it would hurt. It wouldn't hurt Pastor Phil. He's a tough guy. But it would hurt me if you punched me in the face, you know? A disclaimer, though, remember, I am a brown belt in Taekwondo, so I might hit you back. But if you punch me in the face, it would hurt. But if every day you punch me, punch me, punch me, punch me, punch me, the skin has this wonderful thing. Many of us have them on our hands called calluses. Guitar players, you got them on the tips of your fingers, calluses. So over time, the abuse on the flesh gets to the point where it develops a callus to protect it. But that callus doesn't allow you to feel anymore. And so the issues of life, problems, doubts, fears, worries, anxieties, all these things they begin to build up a callus on the heart and where we begin to become hardened towards God. So he can speak, but it just falls on deaf ears. He can move, but we don't experience him. And we have to be cautious and, and, and know that we need to guard our hearts, as Jesus said. It is the wellspring of life. We need to guard it with all diligence. So we got to focus on hearing God's voice. And let me tell you, hearing God's voice is so easy. Well, I prayed I don't hear God speaking to me. Well, you're not listening good enough. <laughs> He's speaking right here. Every single word in this book is the literal voice of God. That's an easy place to start. But hearing God's voice is easy. It sounds just like your voice in your head. There's only a few voices you'll ever hear. They're talking to you all the time. You're not crazy if you hear voices. Let me tell you that. (laughs) In fact, there's a book, a great book called You're Crazy If You Don't Talk to Yourself. Talking about the power of God's word. But you're only going to hear God's voice, your voice, the enemy's voice, and potentially demons or angels. And our jobs as believers is to discern which is which. And it's so easy. If you hear something in your head and in your heart that's focused on you, that's egotistical, that's prideful, that's worried about what people are going to think of you, guess what? That's you. Because <laughs> humans, we're naturally selfish in the, in the carnal, in the flesh, on this side of eternity. We only care about us. So if you're, you have thoughts in your head that are all about you, get rid of them. You don't need them. Because they're thoughts that are trying to declare something that may or may not be God. Now, if you hear something that brings fear and doubt and confusion, that's the enemy. God's not the author of confusion. He's not going to try to plant a doubt in your heart or create fear. And he sends so trash those thoughts as soon as you get them. And if you hear something that sounds like scripture, that edifies you, that challenges you, that breathes into you, guess what? Ladies and gentlemen, you just heard the voice of God. You got to work with that. You got to practice with that all day long. If you can worry all day long, you can worship all day long. If you can sit at your computer at work and still imagine and day drink, guess what? You can dwell on the truth of God. 
And it's up to us. God's not going to force that on us. It's up to us to be able to train our, our soul, our, our ear to hear the voice of God. We've got to listen up. Got to listen up. The second thing, <laughs> I love this one, the clay pot teaches us to shut up, to shut up. Sometimes the most wise thing we can do is to be quiet. And you know, our true identity is our spirit man. We have a body, we have a soul, we have a spirit. Our spirit man is our eternal being. Our soul is our mind-willing emotions. Our body, it just, it's a puppet that does whatever we tell it to do. So your spirit man is in charge, and shutting up is to let our spirit man take control and to let the flesh be quiet, because pride is a very dangerous place to be. We all remember back in 1999, well, if you were you know, alive then, 1999, when uh, JFK Jr. was killed in a plane crash. Now, the plane crash, it's unfortunate, it happens all the time, and you know, for the poor Kennedy family, all the tragedy that they went through as a family. But what happened was they were trying to take off to go to a cousin's wedding, and the pilot wasn't wanting to fly in the conditions with the weather at nighttime over open water in the ocean. So JFK Jr. decided, well, I basically have my pilot's license. I'm going to fly ourselves. And so he took off, but he never took the part of pilot testing where you have to fly blind. That means you have to wear a visor and you have to fly completely with just your instruments. And there's a very important reason why you have to do that. Because what happened with JFK, his wife, and his, I believe, sister-in-law was that he became so disoriented with the spatial awareness that he ended up crashing and they were killed on impact. The reason is that you can feel in an airplane, especially at nighttime, especially over water, you can feel like you're right side up, but you're really upside down. You can feel like you're going up, but in reality, you're going down. And that's why you have to trust your instrument panel to say, no, this is exactly where I'm at in elevation. This is where I'm at and where I'm leaning. And this is where I'm headed. But because he wasn't trained like that, ultimately the pride that I can do this on my own, going with this feeling, led him to their death. Now, we're called believers. We're not called feelers. <laughs> our emotions are meant to follow us, not lead us. We are to harness our emotions and so that we can let the spirit man rise up. And let me just say that if, if you are a believer today, that is numb, dry, apathetic, struggling, empty. It may be because you are just so bombarded and overwhelmed with everything that life is, is going in, in your way. But I'm telling you, if you want freedom from that, you got to tell your flesh to shut up. You got to let your spirit man rise up, rise up. And the same with Jesus' example, you know, that we can't live with these hardened hearts. We, we have to be the ones who are in charge of ourselves so that we can be all that God called us to be and do everything that he has called us to do. We need to crucify the flesh. And that means by any means necessary. I love fasting. Well, let me say that again. I love food. Okay, let me say that. I love the fruit of what fasting. I don't like fasting. Oh, my life a food channel when I fast. It's not pretty at all. I like the results of fasting because what fasting does is it tells your flesh, you're not in charge here, buddy. The spirit man is. That's what fasting, it's not a hunger strike to get God to do what you want him to do. It's to tell your flesh to be quiet and so that it can rise up. Because again, we want to be able to listen up and hear the voice of God clearly. Just like Jesus taught us in, in John 10, that like the good shepherd, we got to silence all the other noise so that we can focus on him. Because a, a, a sheep back in those days would only go to the voice of who they knew as their shepherd. 
And that takes time and that takes training. That takes shutting the flesh up so the spirit man can tune in to listen up to all that God is trying to do. And I want to encourage you. Many, many here have been believers longer than I've been alive. Y'all got degrees that I don't have. You're licensed before I'm licensed as a four-square minister. Okay, there's a lot of experience in this room. There's a, there's a lot there. But let me encourage you, don't get stuck in a pattern in your spirituality. Because sometimes if you want to get to the next breakthrough with God, you got to try something you've never tried before. you got to worship differently. I'm a studier. I love reading. I love the scriptures. I like chewing them down. I'm a wordsmith. I'm an author. I wrote two books, all that jazz. But in this last year, God has spoken to me more powerfully through music than anything else. I've gotten more sermons through music than I have the scriptures this past year. And they're all scripture-based, but God may want to use you differently. Maybe you're not a painter. Try painting. Maybe you're not a reader. Try reading. Maybe you're a singer, and that's how you always connected with God. Maybe you want to try something else. You know, do something that breaks you out of the habit of just going down in autopilot. But we need to open ourselves up so that the spirit man can rise up and we can have the flesh shut up. (laughs) And then finally, the last point here, the torch teaches us to gear up, gear up. I like how the Bible says that we need to grow in strong faith, that we need to build up our most holy faith. And that takes time. A stronghold in the Bible is one thought after another thought, after another thought, it gets to a place where it's almost like an impenetrable fortress. And it takes a lot of healing and a lot of work to break down that stronghold. But if you build truth upon truth upon truth upon truth, you get to a place where you truly believe that God can do anything and that he can even use you. And you get to a place of confidence, of boldness, of audacity to actually step out and do some crazy things that God called you to do. But it takes thought upon thought upon thought. Now, I'm a dad of a 14-year-old, and I grew up watching cartoons. And as a dad, it gave me the uh, excuse to keep on watching cartoons. And there's a great cartoon movie that came out years ago called The Bug's Life. You guys remember this one, The Bug's Life? It was a, a story about a colony of ants that were being oppressed by the evil grasshoppers. And the grasshoppers forced the ants to supply all of their food for the winter. All the seeds gathered up. And so the ants not only had to store up for the harvest for themselves, but also for the grasshoppers. Well, in one scene, these grasshoppers are like a bar, the grasshopper bar or something. And one of the, uh, the uh, grasshoppers is like, hey, why did you talk so harshly to one of those ants? You, you got to keep them in line. It's like, it's just one ant. What does it matter? There's thousands of them. Like, okay. So the grasshopper leader takes a seed and he throws it at his head. He says, did that hurt? And he goes, no. He's like, <laughs> then he opens his valve and lets thousands of seed fall on this grasshopper, ultimately probably killing him. Then he used that picture to speak to all the other grasshoppers and said, what you don't realize is that in numbers, they outnumber us 100 to 1. And if they knew that information, they would crush us. So he kept them oppressed with hiding the truth. And see, what we have to do in renewing our minds, gearing up, building up our faith, building up our hope so that we can believe is one seed after another seed after another seed after another seed after another seed, building up the truth. And let me just say that America's problem is not that there's evilness running in the land. The enemy has lost. He's been defeated. He's been dispowered. He, he's, he has nothing except a mouth. And so when we think about Indianapolis and the shootings and all the other things that are happening, that's not God's authorship. God didn't create that. But what God did is is created a world that has free will. And on this side of eternity, you can use your free will to follow God or not follow God. And so how important is it 
to teach not only ourselves to believe, but everyone else around us to believe. If America would just simply believe, it doesn't matter what crazy evil law you pass. We will see the numbers of mass shootings go down. We will see abortions go down. We will see divorces go down when people can truly uncover the truth of who they are and what God has declared over their lives. But we got to step out. We got to do some crazy things. And I'll close with this. Um, I remember years ago, I was at an Assemblies of God church and there was a mega church down the, the way. I'm not sure if I've shared the story with you or not. But they would always send us their demon-possessed and they would always send us their sick. They said, just go to the little Pentecostal church. They'll know what to do with you. I thought, thanks, <laughs> you know, but sure. And we always pray for them. Well, one of the people was actually a um, maintenance director at this mega church. He ran all of those dozens of acres and all those buildings, and he had stage four cancer. And I remember going to that mega church in his office and sitting there with him. And I said, well, how can I pray for you? And he says, I'm desperate. Take any nutritional guide you give me, I'll do any, uh, you know, experimental procedure and I'm, I, pray for me. It's not in my denomination to believe for miracles, whatever. He was in a denomination that didn't believe that. And I, I respected that. But he said, can you declare healing over me? I said, well, come on, buddy. <laughs> and so I, I spoke truth. I spoke scripture. I laid hands on him. And family, I'm, I'm standing up here with all truth. He was healed of cancer, completely healed of cancer. Now, here was a man who once didn't believe that God can still work in signs and wonders and miracles. But in his desperation, he opened up to believe again. Now, what coworker, what neighbor, what family member, what friend is just waiting for you to be maybe the only Bible they've ever read, the only expression of testimony, the only opportunity of being able to dare to believe? So I want to encourage you, family, as we've talked the last two weeks about believing what areas in your heart does God need to work on to help you believe more? And what people in your life can you be praying for, ministering to, and testifying with? They can see God do some powerful things in their lives. Father, thank you for the prosperity we have in you, the healing we have in you, the joy that we have in you. Go before us this week, we declare in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. amen. We'll see you in the fellowship, Paul Church.